afternoon, good evening, good day. Welcome once again to another episode of So Mo and Horror Fan. I am one of your hosts, Simon. I'm Lee. And on today's episode, Beer Takes Flight. We are looking at the 2005 horror thriller from Wes Craven, uh, Red Eye, on number indeed. episode number 86. Fear Takes Flight is actually the tagline that's on all the posters for this movie, which I thought was pretty cool. Yeah, fair enough. So, before we get into it, we hope everyone's having a good August. This is our second episode for August, our third behind our 5x5 top 5 uh, Wes Craven characters. Uh, second movie for August, we hope everyone's uh, enjoying that summertime. Summer, summertime. Whatever they're getting up to, and everyone's staying safe, you know, what with the... Uh, the COVIDs and the monkeypoxes. The heat wave. The heat waves. The wildfires. The yeah. other assorted general life things. Bugs. Mm-hmm. Lots of bugs. So many insects. Mate, we got so many spiders in our garden right now. Mm-hmm. I'm starting to feel like I'm in a level of Resident Evil. There's fucking spiders everywhere, bro. Um, yeah, crazy. A lot of little spiders everywhere. Mm-hmm. Um, so... Have you got your information for me? Let's let's run. Let's I run. I dropped the, my phone, but I have it. Let's run the thing down. Who was this movie directed by? Uh, Wes Carpenter. Oh. <laughs> the film was directed by uh, Wes Carpenter. It was directed by Wes Craven, but wasn't written by him. No, it was directed by Wes Craven. It was written by Carl Ellsworth and Dan Foos. Dan Foos. Dan Foos. Cast-wise for this film, we have Rachel McAdams as Lisa, Killian Murphy as Jackson, Brian Wang. Cox as Joe, that's uh, Lisa's dad. Um, <laughs> hang on, because there's people in here that we don't really need. Uh, Jayma May is as Cynthia. Cynthia. She died for our Cynthia's. Jack Scalia as Charles Keefe. And that's kind of it. And then assort- really. assorted people as assorted people on the plane, including characters referred to as blonde woman, headphone kid, and nice lady. And randomly on this flight, Kyle Golner. He is headphone kid. Because we cannot escape him. We cannot. He's Kyle everywhere. Kyle Golner pops up in everything. Well, we're eight months into this year now, and this is the third movie we've covered this year with him on. In. Yes. He just pops up and stuff, doesn't he? Mm-hmm. Yeah, right, okay. So, plot line for this movie is as follows. <clears throat> a woman is kidnapped by a stranger on a routine flight, threatened by her by the potential murderer of her father. She is pulled into a plot to assist in the cap assist her captor, sorry, in the in a political assassination. Those words made sense in context. I'm going with it. Yeah, yeah, there we go. And it was made. Should we see what budget was made for this movie? This movie was made on a $26 million budget. And it, and it made $96.2 at the box office. Yes. There we go. So, what did we think of this one? Uh, I quite liked it, actually. But to be fair, it has Killian Murphy in it. So, I was always going to like it. Had you heard of it? Yeah. I used to own it on DVD. I never watched it, but I used to own it because I went through a massive Killian Murphy phase and I basically bought every film he was ever in. Um, but I just never got around to watching Red Eye. 
So, what did you think of it? I liked it. I just said that. Yeah, but like, I enjoyed it. Like, it was a good film. Give me some more. Um, I liked it. I... To be fair, I always enjoy anything with Rachel McAdams in it. I like Rachel McAdams. And this is this is Rachel McAdams after she's become Rachel McAdams. This is post Mean Girls and post uh, Notebook as well. So yes, she's already on the rise. And I also love Killian Murphy, as I said. Uh, so I was like, I went into this just going, even if it's not good, I get to look at Killian Murphy mm-hmm. for like an hour and a half, which is always a win. Um, yeah. But yeah, it was it was it was enjoyable. Feels a little bit different to a, a Wes Craven movie, doesn't it? It does. It doesn't feel like your standard Wes Craven fare until the end twenty minutes when it kind of does turn into a slasher movie. <laughs> yeah, um, and he falls back on old habits. So I remember seeing this movie the summer it came out, two thousand and five. I may actually still have the cinema ticket for it from when I went to see it. No. Oh. Um, I went to see this movie on a date, <laughs> which... I Interesting just... <laughs> choice. Interesting choice. Well, I was like, I'm a big Wes Craven fan, and I think kind of similarly to you, I was like, the way I sold it was, yeah, man, it's like a little 12A thriller, Killian Murphy's in it, and the person I was with was like, that'll do. That will do. <laughs> um, and yeah, I remember seeing it at the cinema and being like, really impressed with this movie. It's one of those movies where I'm like... It doesn't feel like a Wes Craven movie, but at the same time, it feels completely like a Wes Craven movie. Um, I think it's his most underappreciated movie. There are a lot of reasons why this movie was... it. This movie's largely forgotten in like the lexicon of his filmography. It's one of the more underappreciated movies that people do not talk about for, for whatever reason. Yeah. Um, I think a large part of the reason why it wasn't as successful... Um, and wasn't as well remembered upon release was because it came out a couple of months after Cursed. And obviously Cursed was... I mean, we're going to talk about it in a couple of weeks, but Cursed was, for all intents and purposes, a massive failure. And I think a lot of people were starting to think that Wes Craven was over the hill. Mm -hmm. So the fact that it came out so soon after Cursed, kind of people were a bit like, no, I'm, I'm over him now. Like, I don't really care about what he's doing anymore. Which is a shame. Um, and then it came out the same summer as like Firefly, uh, a month after. Like this, to, to put it into context, this movie came out the same summer as the first Fantastic Four movie, Tim Burton's Willy Wonka, the t- the Steven Spielberg and um, Tom Cruise War of the Worlds, the Firefly movie Serenity, and it came out the same weekend in America as the Forty Year Old Virgin. Which, again, it's coming out in a packed summer. Um, And I think that's kind of the reason why people kind of forgot about this movie. Because of the time it was released. It was, like, released post-Scream, around the same time as Cursed. And it's, like, one of the last three movies that he made. Because he he only made after this Scream 4 and My Soul to Take. And that's it. That's the last... There's one of the last three movies he ever made. Um, But I I love this movie for a multitude of different reasons. Like... Um, I love the acting in it. I also love the fact that it's a 12A movie and it's scary without being... Like, it proved that Wes Craven could make a movie that was scary without being, like, overly gory or relying on gimmicks or relying on, like, tired tropes because he plays on the very real 
fear that people have of like being on a plane, being in a fucking emotionally vulnerable state. He plays with a lot of different like yeah. emotions and fears and like he plays with a lot of different things in this movie. Like, as I said to you, like planes fucking suck. Like, I don't think I think I told this story before. One of the scariest films I've ever seen in my life is Snakes on a Plane. Because I hate snakes and I hate flying. There's just something about being on a plane. And we were having a conversation while we were watching it. Because we were talking about flight attendants. And I'm like, there is something about being on that plane that if you have a particularly violent passenger or something goes wrong, there is nowhere for you to go. Mm -hmm. And that's what this movie does very well. It plays into that kind of aspect of she's already in an emotionally vulnerable state and realistically where is she gonna go and for me that is why i think the movie falls apart in the last 20 minutes because it's not as suspenseful as the rest of the movie when they land and she's being chased through the airport and then the finale in the house i don't think that's anywhere near as suspenseful as what the stuff on the plane is Mm -hmm. that's fair you are correct um but also it is and it isn't because you kind of the bit where she's running through the airport and like trying to escape him you're kind of like going fuck like this entire family is gonna die like shit she needs to get out of there she needs to call for help and then when she gets to her dad's house and he appears you spend the entire time going fuck where is he (laughs) where the fuck is he is he behind that curtain is he behind that door oh it's not that door it's the other door fuck (laughs) and he sounds like Darth Vader (gasps) yeah um also, man definitely would have died from a fucking pen through the neck. <clears throat> yeah, there's, like, really not enough blood for my liking. Um, he would have choked on his own blood. Yeah, probably. Or his lungs would have filled with blood. I don't know. Actually, I don't know if I think, I think his lungs would have done. Probably, because he'd be inhaling blood every time he breathes in. Yeah. So he, he, he defo would have died. Yeah, but 100% should have died. It's really funny, though, because he's like... He's running through the airport like he's the fucking Terminator yeah. with this fucking scarf on. He looks like fucking Lamont Stevenson, a man who's just bought a racehorse because he's got this fucking cravat wrapped around his neck. <laughs> and he's like running like the fucking Terminator. It's the, it's the most hilarious shit. Um, but yeah, like I love the fact that he finds ways to make this movie tense and to make this movie scary without being like, buckets of blood and like buckets of like whatever like screaming nightmare on elm street this is not this is like a completely different brand of film um and i think it largely hinges on the main two performances as well um i don't know if you read did you see who the um the film was originally written for and who some of the actors were sean penn and somebody and robin wright which was his ex-wife um but did you see who some of the actors were that were i did see anything about john travolta so actresses that were considered for the role of Lisa included uh, Amanda Peet, Rachel Weisz, Robin Wright, as we mentioned, Jennifer Connelly, Claire Danes, and Neve Campbell. Um, and then the actors that were considered to play Jackson were John Travolta, Nicolas Cage, Kevin Bacon, Willem Dafoe, Michael Pitt, John Malkovich, Edward Norton, and Ray Liotta. See, the thing is, I think most of the women, and this is not not me bad-mouthing Rachel Adams, but I think most of the women on that list could have pulled off Lisa. Mm-hmm. Because all you need to do is be scared and a little bit fighty. Yeah. Like, that's fine. 
out of the entire list of men, though, the only person I think who could have maybe pulled it off would have been William Defoe. I know, man. Kevin Bacon could be creepy, but <laughs> oh, excuse me. But they, the performance, irregardless, would not have been anywhere close. No. To the performance Killian Murphy gives in this film. Yeah, did you know uh, Killian Murphy wanted the part so badly? He that flew out to LA just two yeah. days before his wedding yeah. to have lunch, lunch with, with Wes, Wes Craven. Craven. Yeah, and he got it because of his eyes. Apparently, yeah. Wes Craven's uh, was sold by his eyes. I that... mean, to be fair, I'm sold by Killian Murphy's eyes on anything. The thing is, as well, like it's a it's a testament to like I say this a lot about Killian Murphy. I think. Uh, to, to be honest, I think a lot of actors from that Dark Knight trilogy, because um, this came out a month after Batman Begins, and you look at like actors from the Dark Knight trilogy now, people like Christian Bale, Tom Hardy, and Killian Murphy, and at the time when he was still alive, Heath Ledger, they were in these massive franchises, and they could have picked any roles they wanted. Mm-hmm. And I think it's a testament to them as actors' actors that they choose to do things that, like... He didn't need to go and do some, like, small... Independ- like, basically, this is an independent movie. I know it's working with Wes Craven, who is the master. But still, like, he didn't need to go and do that. There's something, obviously, in the writing that made him want that part. And he sought it out after he was, like, the main villain in, like, a, a massive comic book blockbuster. Although, saying that, Batman Begins hadn't obviously come out when he made this. He would have made them, like, probably side by side. Or, like, not long after each other. So I don't think he could have predicted how big Batman was going to be. The thing is, though, is but... I find this with Killian Murphy. is He tends to do, like, a really big blockbuster movie. So he did, like, Batman Begins. And then he went and did this. And then he went and did Breakfast on Pluto. Yeah. Which, if anyone has ever seen, is a fucking masterpiece. Um, it is a beautiful film. He did The Wind That Shakes the Barley, which is an IRA yeah. movie as well. And then he did Sunshine, which was, again, a big blockbuster film. It did well for itself, I think. We've yeah. covered it on the podcast. And then he went and did a film called Watching the Detectives, which, again, if you haven't seen it, it's a great rom-com with him and Lucy Liu. Mm-hmm. Weird as shit, but great. And he does it constantly, so he'll go and do, like, some big films, and then he'll just go and do, like, these little films people wouldn't really expect yeah. him to do. You, you and know, I love he... that about him as an actor because he does he, he does what I like to call like the franchise mm-hmm. thing of like you look at someone like Daniel Radcliffe or Robert Pattinson, they make their money doing like Harry Potter or Twilight and then go on and make films that they're super passionate about making. Yeah. And I love it's a lot of actors that I love and we'll talk about how much I love them. Actors who do that, who will go and find weird passion projects yeah. that everyone's like, what are they doing? They were just in like a massive blockbuster and now they're going and doing this weird little indie art house bullshit film that no one's going to see. I also do wonder as well if it's kind of like the directors that are attached. For all, like I, Because I haven't watched the making of documentary. Or I haven't seen a lot of things around the making of this movie. But I do wonder if he went, this could be the only I chance I get to work with Wes Craven. Craven. Yeah. yeah. Like, maybe he was just a massive, like, Wes Craven fan, and he was like, I just want to... I just want to work with Wes Craven. Yeah. And that's the thing, is there are actors out there who will pick films for the passion of making yeah. them, and then there are other actors who pick films for a paycheck. Yeah, because And he... Killian Murphy always comes across as one of those actors who picks films for the love of making films. Because he loves working with Christopher Nolan, because he's in all three of the Dark Knight movies. Mm-hmm. He was in Dunkirk. Mm-hmm. And he's going to be playing Robert Oppenheimer in the Oppenheimer fucking movie that's coming out. Yeah, he did Inception as well. 
Yes, he did. I was thinking in my head he was in Tenet, but I was like, no, he was in, Se- in Inception with Tom Hardy. Mm-hmm. Um, although those two movies are kind of really fucking similar in my head anyway. I haven't seen Inception. I've seen Tenet. I love Tenet. I've never seen Inception. Tenet's great. But like, yeah, this is a weird film choice for somebody like um, Killian Murphy, who literally had just done one of the biggest films of his career, to then go and make... And also, I think as well, stylistically, it was an interesting choice for Rachel McAdams. Oh, yeah. Coming off of the back of playing Regina George and the chicken... That, I can't remember I can't what her name is. Why her name is the, the, the girl in the notebook. You know, the notebook's arguably one of the biggest... Romantic like, Romantic films. comedies of... It's of, not a romantic right, well, comedy. Like, it's one of those big... It's like one of those big... The biggest films of that subgenre. Um, arguably the biggest film that has ever been adapted from Nicholas Sparks as well. Yes. And Mean Girls wasn't a massive film, but culturally, it's over the last 20 years, nearly 20 years, it's become a huge film. Mm-hmm. And then for her to go and basically do a small-scale thriller where she's the lead, it's like a completely different character shift. But saying that, I do love the the fact that they purposely shot the trailer for this movie like a to look like a romantic comedy. It's my favourite thing. I can imagine Wes. It's like the it's like, it reminds me of the gif. Have you ever seen the the, the gif of uh, they had us in the first half, boys? Yeah. <laughs> That's what that that entire trailer reminded me of. Was that they had us in the first half, boys? You can yeah. just imagine Wes Craven sitting there, like watching the trailer. Be <laughs> just just that big that big smile on his face. Just like we got him, and I'm just like, yeah, yeah, you did, you son of a bitch, like. Um, but yeah, it's an interesting it's an interesting pairing, and I think honestly, the reason why this movie is so successful and why it works as a film is because of the choice of the two leads. Yeah, um, Killian Murphy. If and no one's ever seen anything with him in, I've seen which you should go watch his entire back catalogue of films immediately. I've seen very few things with him in. I've I seen mean, quite a lot. I've seen the films that we've talked about, like I've seen uh, Inception. The Dark Knight trilogy and Sunshine, but he does. He has a really great way of portraying menace without being hysterical or loud or over the top. Like he's very quiet in this movie, and it's a very quiet performance. Even in the more exaggerated parts of the third act, his performance is still very understated. Which is very much the opposite of what I was saying last week when we talked about the people under the stairs. And we were talking about the guy, the main guy in that's performance being like super fucking cartoony. Yeah. Like there is a lot of things that Killian Murphy does in this in this movie that's basically conveyed through facial expressions or like whispered tones or looks. Um, there's very few moments in this movie where he actually raises his voice. <coughs> and... It's also the way, like, one of the great things I love about this movie, and it's, it's, it's again, how they play it like the romantic comedy. The first 15 minutes of this movie, they give you everything that you need to know. You see the weapons that are going to be used for the assassination attempt show up in the shipping containers. You see um, the, the mention of the political person, uh, Charles Keefe, the political candidate mentioned in the background. You see her at the airport. You see the the hotel, and you see and Jackson. mentioned on the phone as yeah. well at the hotel. And you see Jackson behind mm-hmm. her, um, and then the thing that he does, he does this amazing thing where he 
talks to her as if they're on a date. And then he finds out, like, oh, her grandmother has died. He buys her a drink. thing is, he already knew all of this stuff. Yeah. Because, like he says, at one point he's been stalking her for, like, weeks at this point. But he pulls all of that information out of her by being, like... Charming. A charming person that comes into her life at a moment when she just needs someone to talk to. And it's really interesting, like... Take away, take take the fact that this is a horror movie out of the equation for a second. Just the way that that sequence of them at the bar is portrayed. That is kind of how people talk to each other when they first meet. Mm-hmm. Like, I've always, I've always been fascinated by the way that people talk to each other in any kind of relationship. Whether it's a friendship, a work colleague sense, or like, if you're on a date with someone. Now, I'm a very guarded person. I've always been of the belief that I only tell people what I want them to know about me. Because I've always been of the belief that the more someone knows about you, the more that they can use against you if anything ever goes wrong. Mm -hmm. Which is a really weird way of looking at things. See, I'm the complete opposite. I (coughs) share everything straight away because that way they can't use anything to hurt me because I'm not shy about it. But that's what I mean. That's what I love about this movie is like everything that she tells him, he collates as information because it's going to help him in the long run. So, like, when they first get on the plane and she she starts freaking out when he tells her that he's got her dad and she's going to do stuff, she immediately starts crying. She smells like alcohol. So he can tell the flight attendant, oh, she's had a death in the family. Like, she's had a drink. This is why she's upset. Because he knows that that is a viable... But he knew that anyway. Yeah, but, like... But the thing is, what I'm saying is, like, he, he does it to gain her trust. Yeah. Like, a date sense. But all of the information she provides him with, he already yeah, knows about but her. she doesn't know that. No, I know. Which is why he then has to go to the effort of, quote-unquote, extracting the information out of her. Yeah. Because then he can be like, well, you told me this. Like, it's like, it's this, it's this weird, like, gaslighting thing that he does. It's like, is that the right term? Is he gaslighting her? No, not really, mm. no. Well, he's kind of using her yeah, emotions against her. He's not gaslighting her. Yeah. Okay, maybe that's the wrong term. But, like, he, he realises that everything that she's going through, like, the whole thing with the self-help books, when he notices the scar on her, like, as well, and all this sort of stuff, everything that he's finding out about her, he's using to, like, leverage against her. And it's really fucking smart, the way that... Like, this is a really well-written film. Um, and then, obviously, like, there's things that she learns about him that she, like, uses to her advantage, like, later on as well. Mm. Um, but, yeah, I love I love him as a villain. I think he's a great villain. He is a great villain. Um, because of just how well Killian Murphy sells the character. See, this is the thing. This is part of the reason why I say nobody else could probably play this character. Purely because Killian Murphy has this great instinct with villains of playing them very calm. Yeah. And very charming. I think is the word I'm looking for. And, like, it's terrifying because he never raised his voice. He, right. Like, he does that a few times in the movie when she starts really pissing him off. <laughs> but, like, to begin with, he doesn't raise his voice. He's very charming. He has everyone around them convinced that they're together as well. Yeah. Because people don't really question it when he's, like, grabbing her and things like that because they just assume that they're on the plane together. Mm-hmm. And not many other actors would have been able to pull that off without making it slightly cartoonish, I don't think. Yeah. And it's... This, is, this is just where I warn you all, like, I'm a huge, huge fan of Killian Murphy. I don't think he can do anything wrong acting-wise in my books, as far as I'm concerned. It's an incredible performance. It is. And I think as well, like, a large part of it, like, when I was watching it, kind of, um, it feels like 
parts of it took influence from the Twilight episode, Twilight Zone episode. Hang on, I think I'm going to sneeze. You might need to talk for a second. Okay. Hang on. <laughs> fuck. fuck. Apologies, everybody, if your ears just got blown the fuck out. <laughs> Sorry. Um, You're the loudest things, honestly. Um, yeah, so it's it's like, it reminds me of the Twilight Zone episode, like, Terror at 20,000 Feet, mm. where the guy's like, he's a nervous flyer and something's happening and he's freaking out and, like, people don't believe him. And obviously, we never really get to that kind of, like, people don't believe her stage because she never gets a chance to, like, report what's going on until the... Because, like, she has several attempts. Like, she tries to write in a book that she gives to another passenger. She tries to write that he's got a bomb in soap on the toilet window. Um, but she never really gets a chance to kind of, like, actually raise any awareness of what's going on until the very end when he's, like, stumbling around the plane with a fucking pen hanging out of his neck. <laughs> and the little girl helps her because the little girl fucking rules. Um, the little girl is sus about him from the very beginning. But, like, it's just that... The thing that I love about this movie is it's 85 minutes long. Mm-hmm. It's really lean. It's really efficient. And, like, the, the tension just ratchets up really quickly. Like, there are moments on that plane where you're just like, oh, fuck, what's going to happen? Like, and you're just you're just waiting for something to happen. And it's just super tense. And I think, as well, one of the great things that Wes Craven does is he doesn't really... Uh, pay much attention to what's going on on the rest of the plane there's not a lot of cutaways to other people like this movie could almost be a play like in a sense it is a lot of the focus is on those two in that seat in that situation and i think that raises the tension levels quite a lot as well because you're just like you as an audience are, are almost as trapped as what she is. Mm. Like you're locked into the situation with her and with him and you just have to kind of go along with with what's happening. Yeah. Um, so yeah, but like what did, what did you think about it? Did you think it, like how did you feel it worked? Because it, let's be honest, it's more of a thriller than a it horror film. A but like, did you, did you find it scary? Did you think it was a scary film? Not scary, it's very tense. It's, like, super tense. Because you keep waiting for shit to go wrong. Um, I wouldn't call it scary. I think Jackson is scary. Mm-hmm. Um, just because of his attitude and his behaviour. And, like, those bursts of anger he has as well. Like, when he headbutts her. And when he attacks her in the toilet. Mm-hmm. I think he's quite scary. But, uh, yeah, it's not It's not a scary film. It's just very, very, very... Unless you're terrified of flying, it's <laughs> horrifying. But I'm cool with flying. Um, it's very tense. I do feel bad for Killian Murphy, though, because guarantee he could not go on a plane for, like, a good couple of years after this without somebody being, like, super suspicious of him. Yeah. It's like, did you notice in the film you can see it? So when they did the original take of the scene where he throws her in the bathroom... Is she hit her head? Yeah, he knocked her out. So in the movie, when he presses her up against the window, He's you can see his, his hand. hand. Yeah, his hand's behind her head, so he didn't hit her head again. Um, Which is adorable. Yeah, that's one... You can guarantee that happened that afterwards, because he's, he's Irish, isn't he? Yeah, yeah. He spent, and also, like... Yes. Um, he spent, like, a good 20 minutes just being like, I'm so sorry, I'm so sorry, I'm so sorry, I'm so sorry. Kevin, get these fucking bats out of this fucking kitchen. I mean, no, Whatever. but yeah. Yeah, just like, I'm so sorry. Um, uh, uh. 
Sorry, I'd forgotten Killian Murphy was Irish. <laughs> well, he's not, for a little he's not in this, he's American. I know, but then my brain has now reminded me that he is in fact actually <laughs> Irish and I just need a moment in jail. Also, I don't understand how this movie ends with fucking her um Lisa at the hotel after everything's happened. The amount of head trauma this woman goes through in this movie, she needs to be going to get a CT scan. I mean, she what? She takes a headbutt, a head into the mirror. Head she headbutts him. Yeah. Falls down the stairs. Yeah. Um, I mean, she should be at the hospital. Although she's wearing like band aids on her head, which makes me think that she had been seen by a medical professional. Because she's got, like, butterfly yeah, stitching yeah, yeah. on her forehead. But she doesn't need to be running to that hotel. She needs to be in a hospital bed, eating some jelly, getting a CT scan, making sure she's okay. But we do get a great character moment at the end of, like, we spend the entire film, like, knowing that she's, like, a people pleaser and she's, like, very much, like, she'll do anything for, like, her customers and stuff. And then she ends the film basically telling one of the people staying at the hotel to shove their comment card up their ass, mm-hmm. which I quite like. Um, one thing I do want to ask you, because you mentioned about how great her character is. Um, how do you feel like they dealt with her like trauma in the situation when she's dealing with Jackson? Because it's never outwardly stated what happened to her. We know that she has a scar on her chest or on by her throat. It's implied, it's that, she implied was that she was sexually assaulted. At knife yeah. point. Um, and then obviously seeing how she is in the first half of the movie to then how she flips in the second half. How did you think like the trauma of what she went through to how she deals with the situation was handled? I mean, they don't really ever properly address it in all honesty, but once you find out what happened to her, her character shift makes a lot more sense. So she makes herself mostly compliant while she doesn't have an escape route the minute she has an escape route she starts fighting back because Mm -hmm. she knows that there's a chance of getting out of it and getting away free and it makes sense because it's something you hear a lot from people who've gone through something like that is like you play dead until there's a moment when you know you have the upper hand and then you go for it Mm -hmm. like and a lot of women fight that way anyway we will keep ourselves as meek as possible until we know we have an escape route, at which point we'll start fighting back. Because, I, I, speaking for myself, and I know you've noticed I do it sometimes, I know my escape route whenever we go anywhere. Like, I know exactly how the fuck I would get out of a building should anything happen. Mm-hmm. This second I walk into it, I've decided already. Um, so I quite like that. I like that they kind of don't make her outwardly aggressive the entire time until she is in a position where she can escape because it is a lot more how I feel a woman would react in that situation. Yeah, I think I think for me, like the the bit of dialogue where she mentions about what happened to her really helps to sell the second half of the movie yeah. because I think if if she didn't have the scar and they didn't have the discussion, the change in personality would be very jarring. I think it would be be more jarring. I feel like... I still don't feel like it would. Mm -hmm. Because... But like that's speaking from a woman's point of view. I feel like to a man it would be super jarring. But to a woman, I don't think it would be that surprising, even without her backstory, that she becomes 
a lot more aggressive mm-hmm. in the second half of the film because it makes sense. It makes perfect sense to me because what's the point in fighting back when you don't have an escape route? Yeah, like, yeah. And you're putting other people at risk as well. Yeah, I think it just. I think it's just an interesting character development, and I think also like the way she is in the second half makes a lot more sense in the context of how the character is presented and obviously the revelation that comes forward. Mm-hmm. Um, I do think it is a, it is kind of an interesting thing seeing her basically play two characters in this movie mm-hmm. because the character that she is for the first, what, 45 minutes to an hour of this movie is definitely not the character that she is at the end of the movie. Um, but in terms of like the third act of this movie... What are your feelings about this movie the minute they get off the plane? Because I feel like it becomes a completely different film. See, I don't hate it. I think it continues to be the same film, just with slightly different stakes. Because once you get off that plane, you then start worrying about, like, what's going to happen to the people at the hotel, what's going to happen to her dad, like, all of the other plot points that while you're on the plane are kind of a secondary worry in your brain. Um, So I like that last half an hour where you see kind of like her basically then trying to fix everything that's happened because of the flight. Mm-hmm. And I love that. I think it's great. I think some of the tension is lost because yeah. um, because with, with the a lot of the tension from the the movie comes with them being trapped on the plane and they're being Yeah, but I, I just think there's a different kind of tension in the the last half an hour. It's the tension of are oh, the family going to escape where is her dad? What is going to happen to her now he's in the house with her and he has access to weapons that he didn't have on the plane. Yeah. Like, I think it's still tense. It's just tense in a very different way. Also, she kills a man with a car. She does. (laughs) (coughs) Which, yes. Yes. This is a super low body count movie. Two deaths. Yeah. What do you think of the overall plan? Like, what do you think of everything in motion like and how the pieces will fall into place because i think the movie is very very well written in terms of like point a needs to happen for point b to point c like it's a very well plotted movie and yes the whole assassination attempt on the 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 candidate is a secondary plot i think it's very well handled and they do enough they make enough cutaways enough references to it to keep it in your head of this is why this is happening and don't forget, as much as this is the story of what's happening on the plane, we also have these other moving parts, like her dad, the guy in the car, the assassination. Mm-hmm. Like, how do you think that the movie juggles all of the storylines in such a limited runtime without making the movie feel rushed? Yeah, it handles it really well. I mean, I never forgot what was happening off the plane. Which, let's be honest, I forget everything because <laughs> I'm very, very good at forgetting shit. Um, but like I would like I was always aware in the back of my mind of like okay so all of this is happening because of this and oh shit what's going to happen with her dad like what's going on there so yeah I think it handles it really well yeah I think I think I'd be inclined to agree because this is an 85 minute movie mm-hmm. um, but it never one thing I do love about this movie is it never slows down mm, it, it's quite a slow film well, yes, there is always things happening because of it being a single location, two character movie for most of it, it is still relatively slow. Mm-hmm. And that's not, I mean, that's not a complaint. I like that it's kind of slow to build the tension. But yeah, I wouldn't say it's a quick paced movie. 
No, but what I mean is, it's like there's never a moment where it's not dull. Yeah, it doesn't. It doesn't like completely slow down and then spend like half an hour with the woman in the hotel trying to like sort out hotel shit. It's like nope, this is the point of the movie and we're off. Mm-hmm. It's like go go go, and I like that. It's it's a it's a refreshingly paced movie where you kind of look at something like it, and yeah, you are right. There are moments where it is deliberately paced and it is a slower movie in points, but I think that's more to build tension rather than just being a slow movie for the sake of it. There are moments when this movie feels like a Hitchcock film. Yeah. And I and I really appreciate that because it gives you those it gives you that time to really settle in with the characters and really settle in with like what's actually at stake and what's actually going on and the ramifications of what happens if he gets what he wants, but also if she stops him, like there's a lot of moving parts at play, which I really mm. like. Um, but yeah, I I just I just really think this is a really underappreciated movie, and I think it's a movie that I think has aged incredibly well, given the fact that it's 17 years old. It, other than some of the tech, it looks like it could have been made yesterday. Yeah, so it's, it still hasn't aged badly. That's true. But I think that's because there's not a lot of special effects work in it. That's very, it, also it is, very true. It is literally... It's a lot of practical. Yeah. It's a lot of, like, real sets. Because they built a plane, didn't they? Like, the set yeah. the, the set for the plane is real and they put it on, like, hydraulics and stuff. They didn't. Which I always find fascinating. Like, people that make movies on planes, I'm like, why? I was like, I bet that set is a fucking nightmare to shoot on. <laughs> like, trying to get all your cameras and stuff in there. I bet it's an absolute pain in the arse. Probably. But, you know, fair fox to you for like making a movie on a plane, I guess. Um, is there anything else really that stood out for you, like in terms of Not really. Like characters. Not really. Like it's such a small film that like outside of the main characters and by main characters I literally mean Lisa and Jackson. Even like nothing really else stands out i really like the little girl i think Mm -hmm. she's fucking hilarious but like her dad isn't it for like maybe 10 minutes of runtime he's not really a character even cynthia like she's in it for like five minutes in total jayma mazer's first movie jayma mazer's first movie um what do you think of lisa as a final girl in terms of the choices that she makes in this movie because we always talk about final girls making dumb decisions in horror movies she makes some relatively smart decisions i'm not gonna lie Forcing him to give her proof of life. She tries to. She does try and give warnings a couple of times. Probably not in the most sensible ways, but whatevs. Um, like she makes good choices. Make good choices. Yeah, I think given the given the amount of pressure that she's in under and the situation that she's in, like a lot of the stuff that she does on the plane is really clever. I think the only one that lets her down is when she tries to use the phone when it's not working. And I think she only I mean, gets no, caught because I mean, of the guy opposite fair, That's still a sensible decision. Yeah. Because, yeah, like you said, she only gets caught because of the guy sat across from them. Yeah. Like, otherwise, she would have got away with that. Got free. And also, one of the things, and it never really it never really dawned on me um, at the time, and to be fair, I've not seen this movie a huge amount of times. I've only seen it maybe four or five times. But one of the things that I was really painfully aware of when I watched this one, watched it this time, is this movie was made in 2005. Mm-hmm. So this movie is set in a post 9-11 world. And she writes on the mirror that he has a bomb, which I thought was really fascinating as like, if she'd put like anything else, if she'd put like, he's trying to kill me or he's like 
probably would have gone largely ignored. But the fact that she put that it was a bomb yeah. meant that they had to pay attention well, to like, what, what was do, happening. Well, that's what you do, isn't it? Like, you always use the threat you know that is going to, like, on a plane, shout bomb. Yeah. If you're being attacked in public, shout, shout fire. fire. Yeah. Like, that's, that's, that's depressing. Um, that you can shout rape mm-hmm. and people will ignore you, but if you shout fire, they'll mm. listen. And obviously, like, this movie came out one month after the 7-7 bombings in London. So yes, it was obviously it still a prevalent thing that at that time, large parts of the world were still under a terrorist mm-hmm. attack. So it's inter- it's that's another layer of interestingness to this film that essentially... Because when you read plot synopsis of this movie, if you read the plot synopsis on fucking IMDb, or not IMDb, on uh, Wikipedia, he's actually listed as a terrorist. That's what they refer to him as. And I'm like... I mean, he technically is. I was like, is he a domestic terrorist? Because he's ne- it's never really... Well, no, because he says he's not going to bomb the plane. He says yeah. it's um, suicidal. suicidal. But, but he technically, because he's working with assassins trying to take out a political figure, he's technically still yeah. a terrorist. It's interesting that that's what he's listed as, obviously, given the context that this is a movie set on a plane um, so soon but it's after. But it's still character yeah. correct. So. Yeah. But it is interesting. like, And like, there are moments in this where I'm just like, yeah, you are basically doing everything that like a sensible person in this situation would do. Mm-hmm. Because even though he tells her that he's not a threat, he's not armed or anything like that, she has no reason to know that that's true. He could have associates on the plane. Like, you know what I mean? Like, there's a lot of things where you're just like, there are so many layers to this. It, even the wrongest of moves could cause her to put herself in some serious shit. But yeah, I love the way that this movie moves. I love the character work. And I do think it is an underappreciated work. I mean, yeah. So I think we should probably rate this movie. I think we've talked about this movie as much as we can. I think we should rate this movie and give our final thoughts. So you first. Uh, ratings wise, I'd give it a four. Mm-hmm. Just because I don't think it's quite good enough to deserve five. Mm-hmm. Uh, the performances from Rachel McAdams and Killian Murphy are fantastic. Uh, all of the additional cast work really well as well, and they don't they don't overact at any point, yeah. which I quite like. Um, it's fun. Would I would I watch it regularly? No, not really. I might watch it like once every couple of years when I remember it exists. But I don't think it's a movie that's gonna be a rewatch for me. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, four four axes. There's an extended cut of this as well. Um, I feel like it's still before axes. They put um, a bunch of extra scenes in that didn't make the final cut for like TV broadcasts. I don't think you can get an extended cut of it, but it has been shown on TV a few times. <sighs> Weirdly enough, I feel like it's one of those movies that I don't feel like would benefit from having any extended footage put in it. No. Um, I think it's the right amount of length. Yeah. It, it is essentially like a TV episode. Yeah. You, this could this could be an episode of Criminal Minds. There we go again, two weeks in a row, talking about West Craven movies that could be an episode of Criminal Minds. More likely to be an episode of Leverage, to be honest. NCIS, more likely, wouldn't it? Mm, NCIS, yeah. Or what's the one that's set in Miami? Is it CSI? Mm. They get that ginger bloke on the case. I can't think of his fucking name. Nope. Yeah, get the ginger geezer on the case. What's he called? Must be. Murder. I can't think of what his name is. Horatio Kane. Is that his Horatio actual name? Kane. Is his name actually Horatio sure Kane? It's Horatio Kane? Oh my god! Um, I'm gonna go double check now. Yeah, I think I would be inclined to agree with you. I think this is my favorite movie 
from the latter half of Wes Craven's career. Yeah, it is Horatio Kane, played by David Caruso. <laughs> yeah, I think this is my favourite movie of the latter half of Wes Craven's career. So when you look at everything, say, post-Scream 3... So you look at this, My Soul to Take, Cursed, and Scream 4. Mm-hmm. I think for me, this is the one that's held up the best. Um, I just think it's it's nice to see him so late in the game doing something so different. Um, I think the choice of lead actors is fantastic. I think both the roles um, that they play and the way that they play them are incredible. Um, I have fond memories of seeing this movie. Um, and as I say, even though it's not one I rewatch very often, I'm always pleasantly surprised when I rewatch it by how well it has stood up. Um, and honestly, I think of all the movies that we are covering this this month in honour of Wes Craven, it's the one that I would implore people to go back and watch the most. Um, if you haven't seen it, it's 85 minutes long. It's not a long movie. You could just knock it out really quickly. Um, but I would highly recommend that this is a movie that deserves a lot more love. And it deserves um, a lot more eyeballs on it. And it kind of proves that even at that late stage in Wes Craven's career, like he still was finding new ways to uh, excite and like put fear into his audience. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I, I would give this movie a four, the same as yourself. Um, four out of five from me, four out of five from you. It's, it's very rare that we agree on a movie. It um, is. But I'm glad that we found a Wes Craven movie that you're like, I would watch that again. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, that's our thoughts on Red Eye, um, directed by Wes Craven, came out in 2005. It's currently not streaming anywhere <coughs> in the UK, as far as I'm aware, but you can, like, pick it up on DVD for, like, £2 or a quid. May go to CEX, it'll be in a £1 sale. Yeah. Uh, or, like, get it from a charity shop or something like yeah. that. Yeah. It... Go to We Love Books. Yeah. Love Books. Yeah. Just, just get hold of a copy of it and, and yeah. watch it, because it's a, it's a great film. Um, so yeah that's our thoughts on Red Eye Uh, join us next week as we will be looking at Wes Craven's New Nightmare from 1994 Um, as always thank you for everyone who's liked, shared, subscribes talks about a podcast um, continues to support us we love you guys Um, as always uh, find us on social media S-I-M-A-H-F-Pod on Twitter so I'm married a horror fan all lowercase all one word on Instagram so I'm married a horror fan, all lowercase, all one word on Tumblr. Um, who knows, by the time this has been updated, Lee, Lee might have updated it with some, some fresh stuff, some gift sets. My Tumblr's up to date. It's just, our, our Tumblr has now just become pictures of Eddie Munson. No, that's my personal Tumblr. It's currently an Eddie Munson memorial Mate, Lee, Lee will update our Tumblr for this movie just so she can post pictures of fucking Killian Murphy... Oh yeah, staring out of a plane. Oh yeah, with his cold, dead psychopath eyes. I'll tell you what, we'll we'll do a we'll find a horror movie at some point that Joseph Quinn's in, and I will update our Tumblr for an entire week. He's not done a horror movie. He hasn't done any horror movies. He's done one film called Makeup that I kind of want to see, but I'm pretty sure it's a thriller over a horror film. So good. Um, Yes. So as I say, find us on social media. As always, thank you once again for listening. Um, have you guys seen Red Eye? If you have, let us know your thoughts on the social medias that I've just given you all the details for. If you haven't, go check that movie out immediately because it fucking rules. And uh, yeah, we will see you next week for Wes Craven's New Nightmare. Take care of yourselves, guys. Stay spooky. Stay safe. Bye-bye. Bye.